Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is part one from the beginning session, Take This Farm and Love It, from the Grazier's Business School with Joel Salatin and Steve Kenyon. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn more. Happy grazing. First, I want to I want to go through. We like we like to kind of set the stage here on on some of our basic assumptions for the school because what we find is that as we start in um, as as we go through these principles, we're gonna be we're gonna be exploding myths. We're gonna be discovering um, about us and. We're going to be wanting to make some changes. So uh, we like to lay our assumptions out on the table. Uh, you know, there's an old, there's a, there's a, a, a kind of a, a negotiation where there's, where you have a conflict um, negotiation where you, before you even start, so you got the two sides sitting here, you're getting ready to have this kind of conflicting discussion and you have the two sides and each side says, <clears throat> what is my greatest hope for this discussion and what is my greatest fear for this discussion? And it really helps to lay out when you're having a, a, a discussion that's in conflict uh, to hear everybody say, here's my biggest fear, and here's my biggest hope. Uh, and so we find that for the school, it's really helpful to lay out so that you know some of our, some of our assumptions that, that we're coming to the school with laid on the table. So the first one, and of course this is in your, this is in your, uh, this is in your outline there, but, but we, you know, that's just an outline. We'll flesh it out. The, the first one is, the first assumption in business is <clears throat> the hardest thing in life is making a decision. You know, uh, it's so, it would be so easy, wouldn't it, if every decision were simply two options and one is really bad and one is really good. You know, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, you know, think you're, you're, you're making a decision on who to marry. Wouldn't it be neat if every, you know, you're a guy and every single woman in the world is horrible except one? You know, but they're not. There's a lot of good ones, okay? <laughs> and, and, and and so, uh, you know, vocations. You know, we all have various interests, okay? And uh, so wouldn't it be cool if all the potential vocations I could go into are horrible except one, you know? Then that would be easy. But life's not like that. I mean, I, I see this, uh, for example, you know, you go, to a, you go to a sustainable ag conference. You got all these uh, vendors there, right? And, and um they all have their their uh, 
concoction. And uh, you've decided, well, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna invest some in some in some um, uh, agronomic uh, uh, supplement this year, and um, so you you dutifully visit every vendor booth, you know, and you see the little video and you get the little brochure and, you know, one of them's got, you know, humates and one of them's got uh, some sort of fish emulsion foliar and one of them's got some electromagnetic uh, worm pea, you know, with cation exchange hooked onto it and one, <laughs> right, right? And you visit each one of these things and, um, and you go back to your, you know, your hotel room with your beloved. You spread out these uh, uh, brochures out on the table, and you say, you know, and, and you've budgeted. We're gonna we're gonna spend fifteen thousand dollars on on uh, on a trial on a, something that's gonna really help our soil. Spread these out on the table. You got you know, 20, 30, 40 of them. Man, yeah. every one of them, <laughs> every one of them came to their, their flyer, their little whatever, their little spreadsheet or their little, here's us compared to the other, us, you know. Every one of them is presenting itself compared to nothing. You ever notice that? They don't compare, you know, maxi crop versus, um, you know, nature's balance, okay? They, they, they don't compare themselves to the other vendors. Every one of them has done their studies, us versus nothing. Well, that's not the way life is. It's not us versus nothing. You got an acreage, you could have animals, plants, you could direct market, wholesale, you could do greenhouses, you could do, right? You, you, there, there's tons of opportunities out there, and we don't make these, these non-choice, you know, just all bad, only one's good. And so what you do is you lay out all these brochures, you look at them all, and finally, you know how you make your decision? Say, you know, I really like that guy down there in, in, in uh, number 27. He was just a really nice guy. Seemed like he's honest. They like, we'll, we'll get his stuff. That's how we make decisions, right? That's how we make decisions. And so what we're wanting to do in this class is if there's if there's one thing in business that that stresses us, it's making a decision, and then after we've made one, did I make the right one? Then 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 the second guessing starts coming. Should we have done that? This should we have gotten this? That should I have should I have done this or should I have done that? And so we're gonna we're gonna be throwing a a, a pretty comprehensive eclectic bunch of of stuff out here. Um, so that our goal at the end of this class, one of them is so that you, you will have the confidence and self-affirmation coming to these kinds of decisions. How do, we, how do we make that decision? How do we compare? And then once you've made that decision, rock solid, I feel good about this decision. We, so you're not you're not just in angst every day. Oh, you know, second guessing and running around timid about you know did I, did I do the right thing? So so th this decision making thing and and I know you know there's there's the the holistic management model. There's 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 numerous models, but uh, um, at the end of the day, what what we need are just frameworks 
of comparison so that we can make these decisions, especially these, these financial, these business decisions. What are we gonna invest in? What kind of infrastructure are we gonna have? Um, all those kinds of things. So, we understand, Steve and I agree, that the hardest thing in life and business is making decisions. And that's what we're gonna address through these two days. Number two, what got you here won't get you there. That was an Allen Nation one. What got you here, so, so uh, don't worry, I'm not sucking all this out of my thumb, all right? I stand on the shoulders of giants. This is stuff that I've gleaned over the years that, that have just really uh, stood out to me. What got you here won't get you there. Probably one of the most, uh, uh, my 30 second soundbite when I explain this to somebody, especially an urbanite who doesn't know anything about farming, <clears throat> is that in 1961, when my parents bought the farm that were the, the core of the farm, we've added to it, but when they bought the initial little, the, the initial acreage where we were, where we are, um, 90 bucks an acre, 1961, 90 bucks an acre. Feeder cattle, a feeder calf, so a stalker, um, would sell at that time for about $180 and you could grow roughly half of one on an acre. Half of $180 is $90. Good, all right, we're all, we're all good here, okay. Um, 90 bucks, what did I say we bought the land for? 90 bucks an acre. That is a ratio, that is a market value to production, and that's not direct marketing, that's just selling at the sale barn, okay? That's a, that's a ratio of one to one, okay? Everybody visualize this, one to one ratio. Today, today, $7,000 an acre. That stalker calf, yep, boy, they've gone up too. Man, we're so glad they've gone up. They've gone up from 180 to 700, okay? But we still get the same amount of sunshine, same amount of rain, so that, that acre grows still half a, Stalker calf, and I, I know we can do more with controlled grazing, but that, that's not that's not the point here. All right, I'm just I'm just trying to do the the basic stuff. All right, so we got a half a calf, half of 700 is 350. Now this will really test your your mental uh, math here. So the land was 700. Now we're 350. What's that ratio? 20. Yeah, boy, Michael's on it. Yeah, I got I got my math my math whiz already picked out. All right. 20 to one. So think about that. In 60 years, we've gone from a market production ratio of one to one to 20 to one. That's why what got you here won't get you there. That's why you can't just do what grandpa did. And that's why it's frustrating to see so many of these conventional farmers trying to beat the system doing exactly what their second, third, and fourth generation, what their, what their, their ancestors did without change, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because 
context change, geopolitics change, society changes, economics changes, all sorts of things. I mean, the old, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember well all the old timers around us. They talked about in the 1950s, you know, I, down, yeah, yeah, we got this, got this uh, uh, 100 acres over here. We planted some barley and raised some cattle on it. And I mean, we paid for that place, you know, in, in two years and it made a living and it was good living, you know, on that. You, you can't go down now and buy 100 acres, plant a little barley and take some calves off of it and pay for it. Had another uh, old timer, he told me, you know, he, he used to, he remembered back before um, uh, gooseneck trailers. Now, every, you know, all the cattle are hauled in gooseneck trailers. Back, used to be in straight trucks, okay? So, you know, you'd have a you'd have a chute that went up in the straight truck. He said, I could go down to the sale barn. He was bragging to me. He said, I could go down to the sale barn. This was in the 1960s, you know. Uh, and and I'd go to the sale barn, and I'd sell a straight truckload of calves, and I could take that check and go right over across town to the tractor dealer, you know, New Holland, uh, at that time, Ford, <laughs> John Deere, Alice Chalmers, right? Case International, and I could go over there and I could buy a brand new, the biggest tractor on a lot from a straight truckload of calves. He said, today, I take that check, same straight truck, take that check, and I, can't, I can hardly buy a tire for the tractor, okay? So those are just things. So we have to understand that the that, that conventional wisdom, conventional roadmaps, those things, those things change. You know, there's a, a, a business books, um, there's this idea that the, that the big eat the small. There's one with the title, it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. And we know now that in business, the whole uh, uh, theme is not about scale, it's about nimble. How fast can you change? How fast can you adjust? And I'll tell you what, in the last, uh, in the, you know, since COVID, you know, black swan like COVID, black swan comes along and it upsets all sorts of things. And they say that, that crises do not create trends. They simply magnify a trend that's already in place. And so what, what that whole black swan event did with COVID was that it, it accelerated the fragility of too big a scale within the food and farm sector. It accelerated that fragility so that now everybody knows it. And, you know, for example, if you, you know, if you're running a 5,000 employee processing facility, for example, COVID, man, you know, HR department woke up every morning paranoid about, oh no, did we, did we catch the, you know, the, the COVID person in time and get them quarantined? Or uh, that whole sector going to call the, you know, the Occupational Safety Health Administration and, and turn us in for not having the right protocol to, you know, I mean, uh, HR departments uh, um, mushroomed during this time and CEOs you know, couldn't sleep at night for, are we, you know, uh, for are, are we are we doing the right all the right protocols and the right things? Small business like ours, I didn't wake up wondering of my you know twenty three people who's gonna 
who's going to turn me into ocean tomorrow? We're family. You know, we, we eat together. We know everybody's names. You know, we're, we, we share a mission statement. You know, we're, we're, we're in, the, in the same ballpark. And so here we were, you know, uh, 12 months ago. Lady comes in. She looks at the, um, well, it wasn't 12 months ago, but anyways, recently. Lady comes in. I see her gasp, you know, at the meat case in the farm store. She says, I said, well, you know, is there anything wrong? Can I help you? She said, oh, I was just came from Costco. Sirloin steaks, $16.99 a pound. Yours is $9.99 a pound. Well, I've never been the least cost producer. You know, we've always been this elitist, you know, you're some sort of, you know, food Nazi that, that you know, only serves rich people. And, uh, and, and so here suddenly, so I, so I start doing some sleuthing. I found out, well, my lands, Tyson, Tyson in the last 12 months has increased beef prices 32%. We only increased ours 10, and that's plenty. Why? Because we're not buying Russian fertilizer. We're not buying, you know, Ukrainian wheat, okay? And we're not sitting here, you know, doubling our HR department because we're paranoid about somebody in, you know, those hundred guys over there in Sector Z uh, turning us in for violating some sort of COVID protocol. And so as we have, as this black swan event has touched our culture and created a whole new uh, a sector of issues in business, what we're finding is that the little speedboat can navigate these shoals and rocks. You don't want to be in an aircraft carrier. And so what most of us in this room have grown up hearing in business, just-in-time inventory, and we write, and, and we're, uh, we're all hearing about just-in-time inventory, you know, for, for, for now, what, 20 years since kind of the internet and electronic distribution and, and, and uh, uh, SKU numbers and QR codes and all that. It's all about just-in-time inventory. Now it's been replaced in the business world by just-in-case inventory. And that's the new operative term, just in case, which, of course, has created additional supply chain issues because everybody's trying to hoard. I'm going to fill up my larder. I'm going to fill up my pantry. And that's one of the things that's stimulating the whole what I call the homestead tsunami. Uh, there is a homestead tsunami going on. It's, you know, the price of small acreage rural land is, is like doubled or tripled in the last uh, 24 months because there's this understanding, man. You know, if things are going down, I don't want to be stuck in the city. And there's a lot of that, you know, in, in people's minds now. So the success that I enjoyed in a certain context that brought me to the city, what got me here won't get me there. You know, what, what Scott mentioned to a, 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 a low risk, I'm not going to say no risk because there's no such thing as no risk, but a lower risk legacy for my great-great-grandchildren. And, and, and so all of those contexts change. And so in our businesses, in our farms, often, you know, we, I mean, we're struggling with that at Stockman Grass Farmer, you know, print publication. I mean, you see it, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> we used to, I used to send Alan my, artic, my columns from a typewriter, okay? Typewriter, I mean, and, and, and that's what got us I mean, I'm being very, very transparent here as, as it got us here at Polyface. You know, I, I built the business marketing going out, talking to uh, uh, Kiwanis Club, 
uh, rotary clubs, uh, exchange clubs, um, you know, all these philanthropic um, clubs in the, in the community. Anybody go to their local um, Kiwanis Rotary Club lately? You know, it's, it's six old wheeze and 90 year old guys trying to, let's, let's, get the, let's get the banner up here, you know, from 1955 when we were, you know, the number one club in Virginia, you know, and, and they're kind of rotating the four offices around between the, you know, the four geezers. And, and <laughs> but, but, but when I was starting 50 years ago, that's where, that's where the action was. That's where the movers and shakers were. That's where the buyers were. That's, that's where the community hub was. It's not there anymore. It's on social media. And I don't even have a smartphone. And I don't want to use a smartphone, okay? And so what got us here won't get us there. It's just such an important thing because uh, Carol, Carol and I were talking about this last night. You know, we, um, we love routine, don't we? Yes, I get up every morning or I, you know, I interact with my customers a certain way or I, I have certain... Um, uh, Fletcher, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna connect here because I'm, I'm the old newspaper guy, you know, man, I, I totally get it. In fact... In fact, in my second life, I want to start a weekly newspaper. That's still on my bucket list, you know, to um, start a, a, a hard-hitting investigative. I'll talk to you about it on the break. But, um, what? You could buy it. No. I love it. No, I have a totally different idea, okay? Uh, so, it, 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 um, but... But, but the point is, we all get settled, don't we, into our routine. Whether it's a chore routine, a, a, a buying routine, a production routine, a marketing routine, and, and, and things change. And my goodness, things are changing fast today. They're changing, they're changing in, the inf- you know, in the internet, the information, how people interact. Uh, I mean, goodness, I mean, I mean, we're, right now, we're trying to think how we, how we can get away from PayPal. Because PayPal is starting to, you know, we're going to send, we're going to not take payments if somebody buys a product that we don't like anymore, and uh, and it's a it's a it's a real pain. So, so we just have to we just have to understand that uh, that our our, our situation is going to change and what made us successful today. And so some of the tools we want to give you is so that we can so that we can understand <laughs> when what we what we're doing becomes obsolete. Nostalgia's great. Everybody loves nostalgia until it's obsolete. You know? And uh, so, you know, we, we saw that, we saw that in our marketing. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we built a reputation. I was a, I was a cultish local food guy. That's why I got in, that's why Michael Pollan put us in, in uh, Omnivore's Dilemma. Because I wouldn't ship him a T-bone steak. Remember that? If you've read Omnivore's Dilemma, and man, that was a—I mean, our our uh, curmudgeonness, our refusal to do that, literally. So it it made him mad first, and then he got over it and it piqued his interest so much, 
He's coming down. The point is, he will tell you today, if I had shipped him a T-bone steak, he probably never would have come down. We wouldn't have been in polyface, and we wouldn't have had the plat. You see how these things? But, so, so here we go. We, we built our reputation on this local food thing. But then here, come, here, here comes Amazon. Here comes ButcherBox, right? And, and suddenly, we're, we're people who used to have no trouble driving out our dirt road and picking up stuff. You didn't see them anymore. Why aren't you coming? Well, I can just, I can just order from ButcherBox from my bed and buy jammies, you know? And I don't have to put my car on a dirt road and get, and get gravel dings on, on a paint job. I'm never going to go on a dirt road again. Wow. You, know, you start hearing this. And you hear it several times, you say, ooh, you know, are we becoming obsolete? Yeah, that's right. So July 4th, 2019, we launched um, shipping, sales. And man, we got hammered by the farm community. Oh, they've sold their devil. You know, they've gone to the dark side. See, you know, they don't believe anything. Completely convictionless. They have no beliefs at all. You know, here he built, blah, blah, blah. But are you familiar with the little uh, business book, Who Moved My Cheese? Okay, so, you know, it's these two little mice and they wake up every morning, they go through this maze and there's cheese at the end of it. And they wake up one morning and they go to the maze and they go to where the cheese has always been and they get there and there's no cheese. Who moved my cheese? And so it's a cute little business book. You can, it's a, it's a, it's a 15 minute read. It's the cutest thing in the world. Um, it was really popular, whatever, 15 years ago when it came out. But, um, but the whole, the whole idea is, then the book is in business, your cheese gets moved. And that's what we were starting to see. We were starting to see, man, this, 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 this deal of, 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 personal contact and all that is, you know, and, and the contactless and then COVID. I mean, we were so fortunate that we started that nine, eight months before COVID. So we had kind of the bugs worked out. We were ready to go. So when COVID hit and suddenly shipping blew up contactless, we were ready to go. We had our, you know, dry source. We had our, you know, protocols down. We had our UPS scale, you know, so we could, you know, self, uh, self-label right there and, and, and the routine set up and all that. But, but the, the, the farm community excoriated us. The, the consumer community embraced us. So what got us there and, and coming, coming to this, you know, being uh, uh, almost cultish about local food, man, it built this wonderful reputation, but then there's a day when somebody moves your cheese. And we've got to we've got to be both willing and observant enough to make that decision at the right time in the right way when our cheese gets moved. What got you here won't get you there. Next one. All the gifts and talents necessary for success don't grow on the same pair of legs. Now, this is one that we farmers, we struggle with because a lot of us come to farming, well, I don't want nobody around here. You know, it's me and Matilda and we don't want anybody around here, right? Uh, you know, 
very few farmers come to it because they're um, extroverts and want to talk to people all day. <laughs> if, that, if that's your objective in life, you probably don't want to be a farmer, okay? Most of us farmers, we like being alone. It is, it is a lonely thing. There's a lot of time lonely, you know? But man, think about what you get to be with. I mean, those cows, they're always happy to see you. They never argue with you, right? I mean, what? they're way better than people, you know? They're not calling HR. <laughs> yeah, they're not calling HR, you know? Uh, when the pigs stir our compost, I mean, they always show up on time. You know, they're never late to work. They love to do it, you know? And, and we provide a habitat that allows them to, to fully express their chickenness, pigness, tomatoness, whatever. Um, but the, the point is that, um, that most great successes require a team. And Steve's gonna be fantastic in the next section on, on, on dealing with this whole relational issue. But let me tell you, this is, this is the Achilles heel of more farms, including ours, than you can imagine. Because we can go out, we can talk all day about building fence, building ponds, you know, excavating a lane in, chipping wood, building compost, all that. <clears throat> when you come in the house and there's tension in the house, none of that matters. At the end of the day, none of that matters. Okay? So, so learning to appreciate the talents and gifts that other people bring to the table. And we're going to drill down on this. But, but to, to start with, you know, we, we farmers, we tend to be an incredibly independent lot. In fact, I talk, I, I call it, we almost have this, this cult of independence. I'm going to do it myself. Right? And what we end up doing is spending a lot of time on things that we don't like and we're not good at, well, I'm gonna do it myself. Because the idea of sitting down and making a, a mutually beneficial memorandum of understanding, you know, so we have a collaborative effort that works, you know, where, where there's high level of trust, whew, that takes effort. Because you've got different ideas than I've got. You've got different expectations, okay? And, and so, so we would, we would rather, I mean, for me, it's changing the oil in the car. You know, I've written about this numerous times. Now, look, you know, I, I can change oil in the car. And when we started, I did all the time. But as soon as we started making a penny, I took it to Jiffy Lube and got them to change the oil. And I could sit there and write a, a letter of introduction to a new restaurant that might buy chicken. Okay. That was a better use of my time and talent for that 30 minutes. Than, than the two hours it took me to change the oil because I'm not good at it and don't like it and crawling under the car and, and all that. And I don't mind getting dirty. I'd certainly get dirty plenty. But that's just not something that I enjoy and I'm not good at. Our son Daniel talks about all the time. He said, he says, so when, when I do interviews, people say, if you could change one thing, what would it be? My constant answer now is I would have developed collaborative partners earlier. But 
like most of us, I didn't feel like I could afford it. I didn't, I was barely making a living on my own. How can I share? How, how can I make two? You know, I mean, it, it, you got all this stuff. And, um, and so I stuck with that longer than I should have. But he says, he says the beauty of having uh, having collaborators, partners, and, and I'm using that term, not, I'm not using employees. I'm using, because as we go through this, you're going to hear me, we're going to drill down on this employee thing. We don't want employees. What we want is shared risk. Getting ahead of myself. The point is, he says, that when you just stubbornly do the things that you're not good at and you don't enjoy, you deny maybe somebody living half a mile away the chance they might, that might be the very thing that they can't wait to get up in the morning and do. You know, like, Accounting, okay? Like accounting, like keeping track of all the financials, okay? We love to keep genetic records, breeding records, production records, right? But boy, take all those bills and do the taxes. Oh boy, that's, a, that's another ballgame. I mean, I'm giving an example for me, but, but um, a lot of times I find that we're a lot alike here, okay? And, and, and so, and so, by, by having multiple legs in our operation, we get to tap into, A, we get, we get to liberate ourselves from some of the things that we really don't enjoy. <clears throat> Alan Nation used to say, the, the, um, the goal of every person should be to finally get to a place in life where every time you wake up in the morning, you only have to do what you like to do. Why? Because you have delegated, you have collaborated, you've developed relational networks to handle that stuff that's a, that's, a, a, that's a frustration in your life or that you're not good at. So team building. Our assumption here in this school is that to have a really successful operation, it might, I don't care, I don't care how small it is, but to have one, it takes the introvert and the extrovert. It takes the messy and the cleany. It takes the starter and the fin. It it takes the engineer and the and and the spontaneous. Who cares about the plan? Let's jump off the cliff. You know, we if we can have we can have paralysis by analysis, and 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 that can and that can make it to where we don't get anything done, and we can have uh, jump off the cliff and sink the ship. I'm using a lot of mixed metaphors here, but um, <laughs> jump off the cliff and crash and burn. I guess that would be the right ending to that, right? And, and so all those extremes uh, are, are helpful. It helps to constrain them with, with another, uh, another pair of legs. All right. Number four, the next assumption. No farm is filled to its abundance capacity. Not a single one. Not yours, not mine. My goodness. My, my most special sheet of paper right now, dad died, dad died young. He was 66, I was 31. So uh, not a day goes by that I don't still miss him. He was, uh, you know, the older I get, the smarter he was, you know, that kind of thing. You know, Mark Twain used to say, it was amazing how much my dad learned between when I was 18 and 22. Um, and... <laughs> and um, 
so we were like that. And and one of my favorite patients, he was he was um, he was very ill. And um, Teresa and I had only been on the farm. Uh, I, I came back to the farm full time from the newspaper, uh, September 24, 1982, and uh, he died in the spring of '88. So we'd only been in you know five years, five and a half years in, and uh, we had just you know two years before, kind of, kind of got to a point where we could breathe and say, okay, we're, we're, we're going to make it, you know. If you know our story, we had this. We, you know, we we lived in the in the attic of the farmhouse on three hundred dollars a a week. We drove a fifty dollar car, um, and um, and and you know, if we didn't grow it, we didn't eat it. Didn't have a TV. Still don't have a TV. Um, and and uh, you know, committed ourselves to this um, and, and developed a, a one year nest egg. So that's when I handed my nose, walked out of the newspaper office, and fully expected to have to go back to work somewhere. We thought we'd probably run through the nest egg, but the idea was, all right, we've got a one year here, we can go 100%, maybe our time away can be cut from 15 to 10 years, or 10 years to eight years, okay? I know a lot of you can identify with that kind of uh, objective, that kind of goal. How can we cut that time away and get back full time? And as it turned out, you know, it, 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 uh, it lasted and, and we went along. So anyway, um, so we, you know, we were just, we were just kind of over that. Okay. I think we're going to make it now. We're going to, we're going to be okay. Dad uh, called me in, said, uh, let's do a brainstorming session. This is a kind of, this is kind of uh, a way he thought. And he was, he was an accountant, by the way. We don't have any accountants here. We've got an attorney. We've got a newspaper guy. Uh, we've got an electrical engineer. We've got, got a lot of talent in the room. Um, so he was an accountant, and uh, he called me in. and He said, uh, "Let's do let's do an extra. Let's do a brainstorm." So let's brainstorm how many salaries we can imagine could be generated from this place. Now realize, we had Teresa and I were just just over the hump to where we realized we're, we're gonna we're gonna make it ourselves. We didn't have an employee. We didn't have. We were just. I think we I think we'd like put our first little thousand dollar savings check in a, in the bank. All right, that was extra that, you know, that we didn't need. So we're five and a half years in, and I still I've still got the little piece of paper. I get all teary when I talk about it. you know it's a little yellowed piece of paper now, but we came up with 22, 22 full time salaries from what at that time was a pretty small farm. We had a hunt, had uh, about ninety acres open. And a lot of woods, but it was 90 acres open. But 22 full-time salaries at a time when we had just gotten over the hump of, of creating one, okay? Talk about vision. And I run into farmers all the time that, that, that just believe that they're maxed out. Well, this place, I'm already working 80 hours a week. What do you want me to do? Work 150 hours a week, you know? And, and there's, there's this sense among us farmers, um, you know, we get tired or whatever, or, you know, the, the hawk takes off 10 chickens and, and, and we get, and we get, it's easy for us not, not to be able to imagine abundance. And, and we're hardwired for scarcity. I get it. We're hardwired for scarcity because we're hardwired for negativity. That's why we call them stop lights and not go lights. Nobody comes back from town and says, I hit five, five go lights. 
You know, so we we remember we remember what stops us. We don't remember what makes us go, and so we remember the scarcity, and we don't remember the abundance. Or we look at the weed patch, and we don't look at that little patch that that you know I wrote wrote I've written about it in my in my books. Where, for example, the the manure spreader broke one year, and I had to I had to shovel it out to to get to the chain, you know, so I could fix it. And that little spot in the field became a a magnificent example of ten times the production of everything around it. I mean, like within ten feet around it, you can see that spot. For years, can't see it today, but for years you could see that spot where I shoveled out that manure. Um, and, and 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 to realize that that abundance compared to over here where it's like this, that's the potential here. Okay. That's the potential here. And, and so, um, so all of us, all of us need to be encouraged. We need to understand that our places, each of our places, whether they're big, small, whatever they are, they have a capacity to produce way, way more. We're not talking about you know, if I'm producing 150 bushels of corn to produce 300 bushels of corn. We're talking about, we're talking about 150 bushels of corn. Maybe we don't buy fertilizer anymore because we're doing, uh, we're making a, a bio-fertilizer. We're making uh, earthworm pea as a, fer- a foliar, for example, and we don't have any fertilizer cost anymore. So, so we, we've just dropped our expenses. You know, there's, there's three ways to increase profit. One is to decrease expense. The other is to increase price. The third is to increase turnover, all right? Those are the only three ways you can increase your profit. And so, you know, if, if you can eliminate inputs, that's, that's a way to create abundance. Or maybe you take that corn and you grind it into cornmeal and then you hook up with a commercial kitchen and you make branded cornmeal muffins, okay? That's a way to increase abundance. So there's, you know, and, and maybe a maybe a an apiarist brings a, high, a a bunch of bees and brings a bunch of beehives on you. And maybe the down by the creek where all those grapevines grow up in the trees, uh, some local art, um, artisan starts cutting all those grapevines down and you know kind of cleaning up the woodlot a little bit and makes grapevine wreaths and sells them at a royalty from your farm store or whatever. You, you see what I'm saying? There is there is no end. There is no end to the abundance that our places can create. And, and, and we, we, we tend to come that, oh, it's already, you know, it's already full, I'm already doing all that can be done, and that's not true. Every one of them can, can increase its capacity. Next one, no business is sustainable until it creates two salaries from two different generations. Okay? I do that even in all these schools. See, I got a young partner, okay? Every, every goal that we have is how do we, how do we already look at that successional, that successional opportunity from day one? I'm looking out there at that successional objective, all right? <clears throat> In, uh, in Land, Life, and Livestock, Alan talks about this a fair amount, about the, the cycles of life. And, um, 
and uh, Steve's going to talk about cycles of business too. But the cycles of life, where you you know you start and you've got uh, you've got all this energy in your twenties, but you don't have much experience. Fortunately, you got enough energy that when you fail, you can pick yourself up. All right. And um, but as you age, you get more and more experience, and you get more timid about trying new things because I don't know. I don't know if I fall down. I don't know if I can pick myself up. You know, and um, you know, there's a there's an officers training corps in the military where they uh, do officer training, and um, uh, I, I've heard this. I haven't seen it, but this is what they tell me that there's a, there's a, a one of the test questions for you know becoming a commissioned officer is. Um, they've got this exercise <clears throat> we're going to put in. A, we got to put in a pole over here, like a utility pole. How do you put in the pole? So you're in commissioned officer training school. Some of you have been in the military. Um, so you're, you know, going for lieutenant. And, uh, and so, of course, you know, most people, they draw elaborate diagrams and have, a, you know, a protocol. You know, you got to dig the hole and blah, 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 blah. You know what the answer, you know what the right answer is? No. Sergeant, put in the hole, put in the pole. That's the right answer, okay? Um, and so, so this, this you know, uh, historical wealth, tribal wealth, when you look anthropologically at, at tribal wealth throughout history, wealth was always created by leveraging elder wisdom on youthful energy. So, you know, the, the patriarch and the matriarch are, sitting there in their, you know, Bedouin tent. I remember when that drought of, you know, whatever came through and the one spring that kept running where there was always water was over, you know, such and such. Take the sheep over there, right? Or the old timer in, you know, Montana. Yeah, we had that blizzard of 57 and, uh, and there was one place that was really nice and warm and it was over in that alcove under the you know pine tree, blah blah blah, right? So it's that it's that elder wisdom leveraged on youthfulness that is that is the wealth generator. And so for succession and for wealth generation, we need. I don't care if your place is only who's got the ten acre place. There's a yeah ten acre. Okay, I don't care if your place is ten acres. I want you to have a go into it with a mentality of two salaries from two different generations. It, it, it fundamentally changes the way we make decisions and the way we see things. If we're actually looking at our place with an objective out there of, of legacy sustainability where somehow we're going to generate two salaries. Can you generate two salaries off of 10 acres? Absolutely. You're not going to do it with cows, Okay but you're going to do it with a combination of things. You know, um, uh, Ben Hartman of Lean Farm fame, he wrote the book Lean Farm after the Toyota Lean processes. He's up in, uh, I think, Indiana, and uh, he has a 1.3-acre farm. He's had it for 20 years. And every year, he increases his income. He's got some part-time people that work for him. And on 1.3 acres. Can it be done? Yes. I mean, I, I ran into a guy 
uh, you know, every time you think you've, 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 you've heard the most amazing, uh, the most amazing abundant story, then you run into somebody else, ran into a guy, he had a, uh, they have a one acre farm and employ five people on a one acre farm. I said, what in the world do you do? They, they, they grow roses and their family's been in the, the whatever, cloning, uh, you know, making cuttings, genetically changing rose colors. They got all these amazing 400 varieties of roses, 400 varieties of cheese. But they've been developing this on their one acre and they employ, you know, five salaries on one acre doing these specialty roses in, uh, I think it was in Rhode Island. So, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's powerful, okay? And so never think that you filled your place up and never think that you're the only one that you can employ. Let's be thinking what, we're, what we're, our assumption is that we need to be thinking about two salaries from two different generations. Number six, <clears throat> my success does not require you to fail. And we've got this zero-sum game in our culture right now. It's really unfortunate. Where in order in order for one person to make person to make a dime, then somebody else has to lose a dime. And that's not true. That's not true. So if you come out of here with a game plan to be successful, don't think that that is greedy or prideful, that, that your success means somebody else has to, has to fail. If you come out of here saying, yeah, I think we could, I think we could grow... Um, you know, 100, 100 cows in direct market that doesn't mean that that somebody else has to reduce 100 cows in order for whatever, uh, ecology to stay balanced, okay? No, you're going to figure out how to grow 100 more cows uh, or sell those or whatever you're going to do, um, and, and, and it, there, there's enough room for all of us. And finally, and I've added, I'd add, I've added another one. I've had time to Think about this a little more. And I've added another one there if you want to add one. And this is a big one. The thing that you least want to do is probably the most important thing you need to do. That's profound. That's come to me in the last couple of years uh, as I have been able to delegate and, and, and hone things down and so other people can do them. Let me say it one more time. The thing that you least want to do is probably the most important thing you need to do. Okay? Um, I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.